0: I'm walking down the street. These high school boys are washing a car. They're splashing each other. One of the guys gets uh, a, a, just a hard shot of water in the face. His buddies start laughing. I start laughing. And of course, there's a little wimpy guy walking by. Uh, the guy, embarrassed now by his friends, turns to me and says, What are you laughing at? And before I could say anything, he grabbed me and threw me on the sidewalk and jumped on me and was going to pound me. Now, I'm, I'm a you know, skinny 13 year old kid looking at this bulky high school guy and I didn't know what to do but the only thing I could think to do was to defend myself and as I shot my hand up uh, with a fist I hit him right in the nose and it was enough to shock him and of course blood came out of his nose and covered me and his buddies started, they were shocked and, and then he was shocked and he's holding his nose and he gets up and now they're really laughing at him so I took that as my opportunity to go home. The bummer was when I got home my mom took one look at me and screamed and, and, you know, it was one of those, good God, Stephen, what have you been doing? And, of course, I said, Mom, I'm okay, it's not me, it's not my blood. And, of course, then it was a bigger mess. Fighting is ugly, we know that. Um, fighting is just plain ugly. Uh, so what we're talking about is a metaphor about fighting as a way of seeing how we approach obstacles. We don't run away from obstacles internally or externally we want to face them Uh, we want to lean into them Uh, not to be violent or overly aggressive but we want to stand up for what's right we want to do what's right at the right time in the right way for the right reasons Uh, and sometimes unfortunately you get in a situation where uh, it does become physical you have to defend somebody who's being attacked but more often than not the fights that we fight are fights uh, that matter When i was in college uh i was over at a friend's house uh and uh this couple uh really important in my life uh i was a kid in a young life and and these folks were phenomenal people he was a had been a a, a surgeon in the mission field and she was uh, a clinical psychologist, and I walked in, and they're fighting. They're, they're talking and yelling at each other and having a big argument, and I thought, oh, no. I thought when you became a Christian, you didn't do this anymore, because my, my family, it was zero to 60. Everything was a fight, uh, f- violently, physically and verbally, and, and so I was shocked to see them fighting, and I said, what are you guys doing? And they stopped, and they said, oh, Steve, we're having a fight. I said, I can tell, I can see. Why are you having a fight? They said, oh my gosh, that's how we build our marriage. And all of a sudden I realized, wow, there's a good way to fight. And if you don't learn how to fight, you're not prepared for life. You'll withdraw from life, or you'll be run over by life, or you'll be overly aggressive and, and, and slug your way through life. So we're going to talk about fighting as a metaphor for overcoming internal obstacles our fears, and external obstacles, those threats that create our fears, that trigger our fears. Basically, it's exerting sustained effort in being faithful to Jesus and blessing people. We're centering it in a theological context, not to spiritualize it, not to sanitize it, not to remove it from the real world, but so that we can engage the real world. Because if, in fact, we are exerting a sustained effort in walking with Jesus faithfully, and blessing people, people faithfully, we're going to fight a really good fight. We're going to fight a fight that reflects the kingdom of God at work in us and at work through us. It'll allow us at times to turn the other cheek, to walk away, to lean in, to bear with people, to be patient with people, to maybe take some abuse and misunderstanding and mischaracterization, but at the end of the day, to build bridges versus barriers. So essentially, it's personally aligning and standing with Jesus. That's what this series is about. Last week, we talked about uh, fighting the battle within, and God gives us peace for that. Uh, Today, we're turning a corner on that. But let me start by asking you this. How's that going for you? This idea, this this, uh, commitment to standing with Jesus, how is that going for you? Are you standing with Jesus? Do you even understand what that means? Do you have a way of unpacking that? He's not your our heart knocking, seeking entrance, to build a relationship with us. Think about that. You don't have to go to any great lengths to stand with Jesus. You simply invite him into your life, and he's with you, and you're standing with him. He's easy to find. He's standing, knocking on the door of your heart and mind, And he's asking us a question. Would you like to have a relationship? Embedded in that question is this question. Who or what are you fighting against? Are you fighting against me? There's only a handle, uh, as they say, on the inside door. I get to open that door or not. On the outside of the door, there's no handle. Uh, there's a famous, uh, wonderful painting in, in Keble College at Oxford University, uh, and it shows Jesus standing uh, at the door, seeking entrance. It's called Jesus the Light of the World. It's a beautiful, beautiful painting, a great picture. He's asking us what we're fighting against, and it's an important question. Here's why. If, if you remember the Apostle Paul, uh, very antagonistic toward people who, who said they believed in Jesus as Savior and Lord. Uh, he went on uh, a, 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 a big trip uh, all around the countryside there, from Jerusalem to Damascus, uh, rounding up people who believed in Jesus and persecuting them. And At one point, a blinding light shines in his face. He's knocked off of his horse, and a voice says, uh, Saul, Saul, why are you fighting me? And he says, who are you? And he has this encounter with Jesus. Jesus continues to ask that question. Um, what are you fighting against? What do you, what do you come out of that? Are you standing with him or standing against him? It's important to know whether you're fighting with him or fighting against him. Let me tell you another, uh, give you another example of this. Uh, during that time when Saul was running around and persecuting people. Uh, two of the apostles of Jesus started out as disciples who were receiving training from Jesus and then commissioned to be apostles. Those going out in Jesus' name. Peter and John. Uh, there's a gospel called John and some letters by John. There's, there's uh, some letters from Peter. Uh, and so you're familiar with these names if you've read the New Testament. Peter and John. They're coming out of the temple. A fantastic, magnificent building in Jerusalem. And they see a man who is crippled. And he's begging And they look at him and they say, you know, we don't have what you're asking for. Silver or gold, we don't have. But what we have, we give you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Well, this set in motion uh, an outcry of amazement and thanksgiving and praise to God. It also set in motion some antagonism. Uh, So some guys came looking for a fight. What were you guys doing healing that man in front of the temple? And they're saying, well, why wouldn't we? Well, it's the Sabbath. You shouldn't have done that. They pull them into a court. It's called the Sanhedrin, the 70 most powerful leaders in Jerusalem. Uh, and they start asking them a lot of questions. And Peter and John answer the questions for them. And at one point, it says, when the, the crowd, the Sanhedrin, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Of course, they threatened Peter and John, said, stop doing this. And, and Peter, with all respect, said, well, you tell us, should we obey God or, or, or men? And with that, they were ushered out and threatened with with harm and punishment if they continued uh, talking about Jesus. Well, then a man named Gamaliel, Gamaliel. Uh, so that was Acts uh, chapter 3, where the miracle happens. Chapter 4 is where we see this encounter with the Sanhedrin. Uh, and then in uh, chapter 5, it tells us that Gamaliel, the most impressive rabbi in Israel, his grandfather was was Hillel, the most famous uh, rabbi of his generation. And so in Gamaliel's day, people still quoted Hillel. Well, Hillel says this. Hillel says that. And here's Gamaliel, highly respected uh, rabbi, who, by the way, was Paul's mentor and tutor. He was a godly man, immersed in Scripture, anticipating and looking forward to God sending the Messiah. So Gamaliel stands, and he says to his fellow leaders in the Sanhedrin, leave these men alone let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. They're fighting in the wrong fight. They're going to die in the wrong hill. But if it is from God, if they're fighting the good fight of faith, empowered by God, called by God, equipped by God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find your God. You can see that in Acts chapter 5, verses 38 to 39. And so like Peter and John, we're called uh, to bring healing love into people's lives. That's the fight that we fight. We wage peace. We wage love. We wage truth. Uh, we wage patience with people who are either fed up with God, they've been hurt by people in God's name, or they've, they've just never heard about it, so they're defensive and, and confused. We're bringing healing love to those who are curious, saying, you know, I've, I've hoped for God. I've had visions. I've had dreams about uh, a God, and, and now you're telling me about Him. Tell me more. We're called to bring healing, love in Jesus' name. That's what it means to fight the good fight. That's what it means to deal with those internal obstacles and face those external threats. These are the weapons with which we fight. They're not fists and feet. They're not sticks and other weaponry. Uh, It's the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control that God gives us through His Holy Spirit. And so we can apply this metaphor of fighting to everything we care about. We can fight the good fight of friendship. Have you ever had a falling out with a friend? Have you ever had a fight with a friend, an argument with a friend? Have you ever felt let down by a friend? Have you done that to a friend? Well, you can test your friendship by saying, are we willing to work on this? Can we fight for our friendship? Can we put it all out on the table and talk about our disagreement, the misunderstanding, the hurt, the insensitivity, whatever has happened here? Uh, how about fighting the good fight of marriage? Everybody gets married with great expectations for a wonderful life. Uh, and then the second day of marriage, they bump into the fact that, wow, we're really different. And it's not always easy living with somebody who's really different. He's not the same as me. It doesn't feel the way I do when I feel what I feel. It doesn't want to do things the way I do when I feel like doing them. You can fight the good fight for your marriage. How do you do it? You take time to learn how to fight, how to fight constructively. With things like this, listening, respect, patience, love, openness, empathy, right? Marriages are built. Marriages are built. They're launched in a wedding, but they're built by people fighting for the marriage. They don't have to fight with loud voices, harsh words. Sometimes that's what happens. But they fight with a commitment to saying, what are the obstacles in the way They're keeping us from understanding how to love and receive, uh, give and receive love with one another. You can fight the good fight as a parent, really being good students and observers of your kids, understanding what's going on, anticipating their needs. But when they get old enough to talk about what they see their needs being, what they feel, what's going on in them and around them. Uh, You can be uh, fighting the good fight as a leader. Leaders don't want to fight with the people that they're trying to lead, but they want to understand them. So fighting as a leader means saying, I'm going to take the time to listen, to understand, to maybe ask hard questions, raise hard issues. I don't feel compelled to always say yes or no. I feel compelled to lean in and understand what the most effective way to lead would look like right now. Are you with me on this? Uh, This is a lifetime endeavor, fighting the good fight, learning to fight, especially with the courage that God gives us to fight all those fights that otherwise Uh, could be threatening the international man taking the gospel far beyond jerusalem all the way to rome he writes to timothy and he says i have fought the good fight (laughs) early on he had written a letter to timothy saying fight the good fight because of what god is doing in you and through you and now after a lifetime of doing that he's an old man timothy is now a mature man a mature leader And as Paul writes his last letter to Timothy, he says this, I have fought the good fight. The fight that I told you to fight, I've been fighting it. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So God calls us to fight the good fight of the faith, empowered by his Holy Spirit. Because otherwise it's just our good intentions. And we'll do things and try things that aren't going to be very effective. We see this all the time. People standing up and speaking for Jesus or speaking for the church. And they'll say some things and you think, gosh, that doesn't sound like Jesus or what the church is supposed to be. But of course, other people latch onto that and say, well, that's what, if that's what it is, I don't want it. I don't like it. But God calls us to fight the good fight of the faith, empowered by His Spirit. And, and to be empowered by His Spirit is to have humility enough to say, is this really from God? Or am I superimposing my ideas in God's name on this situation? Because if we're bearing the fruit of the Spirit, Every fight that we enter into should look like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We go armed with spiritual armor, things like peace, truth, righteousness. You you can look these up in Ephesians chapter 6, the the spiritual armor that we have. Uh, Galatians 5, you see this list of uh, these spiritual uh, fruit uh, and, and qualities that we should have. So fighting is a metaphor for overcoming internal fears and external threats. The next thing we want to look at is this. Today we're talking about courage from God for the fight before you. Having done the work inside on us, we're ready to say, what can I do uh, to fight the good fight in the world in which I live and move and have my being? Uh, Where I go to school, where I hang out, uh, where I work, how I interact with people. And we fight this together as Christ's body, internally connected and externally focused. That's a fancy way of saying, if we're the body of Christ, all the parts are knit together like, like a body is, all together working together. When your body isn't working together, you have to work on your body. Let's get it together. Uh, if you've done any, any um, uh, athletic training, part of the focus is getting your body to agree with what your mind thinks you're supposed to be doing. And somebody will correct your position correct your swing, correct uh, your, your, your whatever. Um, and so the body of Christ coming together is internally connected. And we fight this good fight together, not as a mob, but as a movement of God's spirit. And we come back together and we worship him together. Like today, we worship. We're not together, but July 5, we'll be together. And by worshiping together, we say, how's it going for you? What are you experiencing? What are you learning? But as a body collectively is knit together and internally connected, healthy and vibrant, then as we move out into the world from these times of worship and fellowship, of being together, we're not hiding from the world, we're preparing to engage the world with all those qualities that God's given us. So you're not alone in fighting this fight. You're part of a body of Christ. So the courage that God gives, he gives to individuals But he also gives to the body. So when Peter and John went back after that harrowing experience of being brought up in front of the Sanhedrin and threatened, they went back uh, to the brothers and sisters and told them what had happened. And the the body around them said, Wow, we got to pray about this. And their prayer wasn't, let's destroy those guys. The prayer was, Make us bold to do your will, Lord, to bring the fight to the marketplace. So that whenever we show up, people say, "Hey, there's something good going to happen. These people are here. When these people show up, there's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. There's truth. There's hope. There's transformation. There's righteousness. When these people show up, and so the church exists for others. We're guides in the story, not heroes. Hey, we're so awesome. We have something to tell you. But rather, we have received something so awesome. We'd like to help guide you to receive it and to." Embrace it and to experience it and to extend it to others. And so being a guide with the courage that God gives us for the fight requires having authority and credibility. You know, authority isn't just something you claim or name. It's something that you develop as a character transformation that allows people to say, "I trust you. The power you have, I trust you with that power. The influence you have, I trust you with that influence. I know I can count on you to tell me the truth, whether it's good news or bad news. And credibility then, is seeing that over time and saying, you know what, I'm building my sense of trust in you. I'm building a sense of confidence in you. I, I, my confidence, ultimately, is in the Lord, but I have confidence in you. And so, as parents, we give our kids more freedom. As kids, we're more willing to listen to our parents and abide by uh, their counsel And so our authority is rooted in God's word and Jesus' work. That's just to say, our authority and our credibility has to bring us back to the Bible. If somebody says, hey, I'm I'm curious about what you're doing and saying, where's that in the Bible? We should be able to say, well, you know, it's coming out of here. It says, love one another as I have loved you. That's what's going on here. And, And why do you insist that Jesus is Savior and Lord? Why are you fighting with him for the salvation of the world? Well, because here's what he did. He died for the sins of humankind. He was perfect in every way. And while we're still enemies, he died for us and invites us into an eternal relationship, an eternal forever relationship with him. Not only did he die for our sins, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He's given us his Holy Spirit. So you see, it's the word of God and the work of Jesus, God in the flesh, that gives us our authority and sustaining credibility. And So our, our personal credibility isn't our perfection, but our perseverance in Christ. That's, again, an expression of fighting the good fight. Yeah, I got knocked down hard, but I'm going to get up and keep going. I was really discouraged. I really did a dumb thing, but I want to recover and move on and learn from that. And So apart from Christ, we will lack authority. We will lack credibility. We will lack strength. We will lack courage. And what happens when we lack those things? You can see the symptoms. Symptoms of things like uh, are things like denial and blame and scapegoating. We're seeing a lot of that these days. When people aren't living out of authentic authority and credibility, what do they do? They hold up signs that condemn other people, Uh, cops are bad, blacks are bad, whites are bad, rich people are bad, poor people are bad, homeless people are bad, Uh, pick whatever sign uh, that's in your head and in your heart. All of those are things I've heard in the last week. And the problem is we we assign to a group all the attributes that no group can possibly represent or bear. We stop seeing people as people, and we start seeing them as groups. And we scapegoat the groups. This is ultimately what racism is about. Racism is saying, those people, that race, they're all bad. Just why. And we can tell stories and give examples. Selective stories and selective examples. And when we meet somebody from that race who is just like us and that we actually learn to love and appreciate and trust, we say, well, they're different. They're not really a good example of the race. They're, they're the outlier the exception. And we miss the whole point. That's what racism is. That's what sexism is. That's what ageism is. Think of every ism. It's seeing people as a group and a category rather than seeing them as people made in the image of God. The fact that we accept all people doesn't mean we agree with all people. But we dare not put people in those easy, simple, and wrong categories that hold them back and keep them down and are oppressive in every way. It used to be that children were a category like that. Children should be seen and not heard. Actually, that's not bad. I don't want to think of that was a bad idea. If a parent died, nobody would talk to the kid about what they were experiencing. If a child was frustrated, they were just supposed to suck it up and do what mom and dad said. We've learned a lot about understanding how to engage children. And instead of saying all children are like this, we say, our child is like this. Here's what he's going through. Here's what she's going through. Let's compare it to what we see normally in development of children. So we start to see people as people made in God's image. We stop fighting against people. We start fighting for people and with people for the righteousness that God alone can bring. And therefore, we reclaim our authority, our credibility, our strength, and our courage. God demonstrated his strength and courage on the cross, dying for everybody. If he decked a the good fight on behalf of people who perhaps don't have a voice, don't have the capacity, don't have the connections that we have to fight the good fight. It's not to keep those people dependent on us, whoever those people are. It's to make these folks full partners with us. I love the way that Abraham Lincoln said when confronted by a well-intentioned, uh, enthusiastic supporter said that, who said to him, you know, those people are our dire enemies. You should destroy them. You should destroy your enemies. And in, in, in his great wisdom and wit, Abraham Lincoln said, you know, uh, ma'am, I am. I'm making them my friends. I am destroying my enemies by making them my friends. Now, not not everybody's going to like you, uh, but that doesn't stop you from liking them and extending to them friendship. Standing on the door of their heart, knocking, saying, hey, if it's okay, I'd like to come in and have a relationship with you. So do you see yourself as a person of strength and courage? Because God is giving you strength and courage. But do you see yourself as a person of strength and courage? I see myself that way, but I probably look asymptomatic. I think of myself as a person of strength and courage, but I maybe don't look like that a lot of the time. The fact is, this process that Jesus has us in in developing us as people, as disciples, even as apostles to go out in his name, is really that process of growing up into our faith. He is equipping us for something greater. He takes our pain and uses it for something greater. He takes our problems and uses it for something greater in our lives, and that's why we're willing to fight. Instead of saying, i got a problem, I've I've got a sin that besets me, I've got an issue I can't resolve, we don't hide it and deny it, scapegoat it, project it on somebody else. We say, you know what, I need some help working on this. And and the beautiful thing about that is, in that process, our strength, our courage, our humility, all those other qualities become symptomatic. I see that in you. I see the demonstrations of love and these other qualities in you. You have strength. How do I know? Because you hung in there when you could have quit. You have courage. How do I know? Because you said the hard thing that I needed to hear that other people weren't willing to say to me. I got to say that brave men run in my family. I also have to say it's not always clear what direction they're running in. If you want to take a great walk, walk along the coast down by the Contemporary Art Museum, you see this massive, on the side of the wall there uh, on the beach side of the museum, uh, there's a big sailing ship. And it looks kind of ominous, like it could be a a pirate ship or adventurers, you don't know. But it says, brave men run in my family. And it's a joke. And Rusha, the the famous artist who created that work of art, took that as a joke. It was a line in a movie. A guy says, brave men run in my family, then he runs away. You know, brave men and women run in our family, the family of God. If you go to Hebrews uh, chapter 13, it'll, it'll show you all these people who did awesome things. In the name of God. They had big problems and big challenges. They showed strength and courage. I want to give you one example. Uh, If you turn uh, in your Bible, you can see uh, see it on the slide right now. Deuteronomy 31, 6 through 8. Moses is speaking to the people. Uh, They've been wandering in the desert for 40 years. 40 years earlier, they'd come uh, onto the border of this land of promise, the promised land God was going to give them, and they freaked out and chickened out. They said, it's too scary. There's big guys in there. We, We can't go in there. And so God allowed them to wander for 40 years until they rethought that. And now 40 years later, Moses is saying to the people, okay, our time has come. We're back at the border of the land. And he says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. That's the kind of God we serve. The kind of God who loves us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He's with us, even as he allows us to go through some hard things. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Now, it's kind of funny him saying this to Joshua because Joshua uh, and his buddy Caleb were the two youngest of 12 uh, spies sent to check out the land 40 years previously. It was Joshua and Caleb who came back from that sortie, that, that reconnaissance, and said, let's go for it. And the other 10, older, supposedly wiser, said, no, it's too scary. And so Joshua and Caleb had to walk through all the land around the promised land for 40 years with everybody else, even though they were right. So here's Moses saying it to Joshua, to Joshua as well. Don't say, I told you so. Just know that God is with you and be strong and courageous. Because once you enter into this land, it's going to be scarier than you think. And then after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun. Moses' aid. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready. Are we getting ready to do what God wants us to do? We break out of here on July 5 and have a worship service with all proper protocols in place. Are you ready to break out from whatever is holding you back individually? I'm ready to break out. I'm ready to break through, to break free. Aren't you? We can only do it because the Lord himself is with us, and he's giving us strength and courage to do that. Claim it and receive it and accept it and grow into it. To say that we have it doesn't mean that we are using it or that we know how to use it. It might be on a shelf, so to speak, wrapped up in a package somewhere. And so the Lord goes on to say, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Do you sense the theme here? Be strong and courageous. I've given you the shalom of God, the peace, to fight the battles within you that overcame your disobedience and distrust of me. Now I'm giving you the courage you need to overcome the external threats that could cause you to be fearful again. Fearful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? It's me telling you. I've got got authority and credibility. Is what God is saying. Uh, This idea of not veering to the right or to the left, I think that's a great message for right now in our culture, in our nation. Do not veer to the right. Do not veer to the left. They're both wrong. The only right way is the Lord's way. And if you hear something from the right that corresponds to what God says, okay, I'm gonna take that into consideration. If you hear something from the left, that corresponds to what God is saying, I'm going to take that into consideration. We don't listen to anybody else but God until we know what God said, then we listen to everybody else saying, is this, is this lining up with what God has said? If not, can I bring general correction? If it is, can I bring absolutely enthusiastic support? Be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Wherever you go, the Lord is with you. Because he's given you his peace, you bring it with you. Because he's given you strength and courage, you bring it with you. You bring it as a gift, not as a trophy. Look how awesome I am, but as a gift. Let me offer this to you. I'm finding it very helpful. But to do that, we need to build bridges of trust, relationship bridges. You need to stand respectfully at the door of people's hearts and say, hey, you know, I care about you. I'd Love to love to be in a relationship with you. That brings us to the last big idea. Strength and courage gives us starting power and staying power. What do you need to start right now in your life? What have you been, what have you been putting off? Maybe it's reading the Bible. Maybe it's being in a life group. Maybe it's, it's, it's uh, talking to people around you about what you're learning about Jesus. Maybe it's Being so afraid of failing that you're not willing to take any risks. You're afraid to dream big. And by big, I don't mean grandiose. It's awesome, I'm so awesome. Or dreaming, daydreaming, wishful thinking. If only this would happen to me. By dreaming big, by starting something new, the word of God is saying, look, I'm doing a work in you, and it's constantly new, it's constantly being refreshed. Trust me, every day, lean into it, step into it, I'm with you. Be wise and discerning through the guidance of my word and my spirit in you and the wise counsel of people around you. But don't hold back. Start something. And having started it, continue in it. Starting power and staying power are part of the same continuum. If what you're doing isn't working, you can make adjustments. But staying power is staying focused on that goal. My uncle died uh, last week. He's a dear uncle. Uh, He was Tommy. He was amazing. And when I was about 15, I, I left home because uh, I was, uh, it was just chaotic. And uh, at one point, I was, I was fearful for my own life. And so I, I left home and I moved up to Northern California um, and uh, lived with, with an aunt and an uncle. And along the way, I was feeling kind of discouraged like, gosh, you know, I hate to run away from things. But I was a 15 year old kid and I was overwhelmed. Tommy wrote me a letter saying, You know, Stephen, think of this as not running away. Think of this as a strategic retreat. So you can gain your perspective. You did the right thing. We were all very concerned for you, and it was really important for you to get out of that situation. But now use this time to be ready to return and enter back into the fray. That was the most brilliant wisdom I could have gotten from him at that impressionable, uh, important, uh, very vulnerable time in my life. Strength and courage gives us starting power and staying power. Do you need it? Do you think our nation needs strength and courage? Do you think perhaps your marriage needs strength and courage? Do you think your family, do you think you need that at work? Do you think you need that in the way that you're engaging with some of these overwhelming events uh, of the day? These big issues, issues of injustice and inequality, uh, issues of not just fairness but righteousness, our culture is out of breath and dying. Have you noticed that? Yes, you have. You can't turn on any kind of news media and not see. Our culture is out of breath and dying. We're choking ourselves to death. We're choking ourselves to death. And by lashing out at the people or what we think are our enemies, we're choking them. We're trying to choke them down. But we're choking ourselves in the process. We need refilling and reviving by the Spirit of God, healing us individually healing us as as, as, as married couples, healing us as families, healing us as a nation, healing us as a church. We always need that healing. Well, nothing wrong with me. There's always something wrong with us. We always need healing. We always need refilling, refreshing, renewing, reviving. It's not not a, a sign of disrespect to suggest that. It's a sign of hope and encouragement. Guess what? We have resources available to us. We can be filled, we can be revived, we can be renewed. We can learn new patterns of relating to ourselves and to others around us. We can learn a new way of seeing people who look different than us. We can see a new way of seeing us in the context of a world that otherwise could look scary and threatening. Maybe the problem isn't the world. Maybe the problem is us constantly projecting onto the world things that aren't necessarily uh, threats, but opportunities. Our culture is out of breath and dying. Uh, We need refilling. Uh, God is healing if we pay attention. He's healing us spiritually, intellectually, relationally, politically, economically. There's so much sloppiness spiritually, intellectually, relationally, politically, and economically. There's so much selfishness. There's so much small thinking. God wants to open up our minds and our hearts to see something larger. We think of life as a pie and you can't get any bigger so we're we're trying to hold out of our slice. Afraid somebody will slice it smaller. You know what? That's a zero-sum way of thinking of life. If life is a pie, it's getting bigger and better because God is in the midst of it. God's resources are unstoppable. Think about that. You don't have to protect your small bit of pie. He's giving us everything we need to do, everything he wants us to do. Are you stepping up to fight the good fight or not? If we lack strength and courage, we will continue wandering in the wilderness. If we say no to God, it's a bad alternative. If we say yes to God, it's a little scary, but it's really, really good. Why? Because he's always with us, and he gives us exactly what we need to face every challenge and seize every opportunity. Everything that matters in life takes strength and courage. That's why it matters. Right now matters. Right now for you, for this church, for our nation. As Jesus said, I'm with you always. Here's the big question I'm leaving with you. Uh, you. Jesus says, I'm with you always. The big question for us is, are we with him? Will we be with him? Are we seeking him? Are we humbling ourselves before him? Are we opening our hearts and minds to him? Are we opening our hands to him? Are we trusting him? Are we learning from him? Lord Jesus, this is my prayer for my brothers and sisters, for me, for our church, our city, our county, our country, our our world, I pray, Lord, that as we open our hands to you, You who work in every culture and through every culture. You who is above every culture. Lord, you've called us to the life that you alone can give. And so, Lord, we come to you in the name of Jesus, seeking you above all else. Pray that we would learn to fight the good fight, tethered to you, reflecting you in all we say and do. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, we have a slide to give you some information, a little heads up, and then uh, you're in for a big treat. Deneen and the band are in the house. So let's continue worshiping the Lord and let me leave you with this blessing. May the Lord bless you because he's holding on to you tight. May the Lord keep you and shine his face on you as he does every day, whether you're aware of it or not. May the Lord give you everything you need because he is everything you need, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.